don't give it like a the podcast platform of the Phenomenalist by Leopold Lambert. Today, monitoring the occupation, the Israeli settlement in the occupied Palestinian territories, with Dror Redkes. Hello everyone, today my guest is uh, Dror Redkes, who is the uh, founder of uh, Kerem Navot, an organization in uh, Jerusalem that um, uh, monitors uh, Israeli settlement activities in the West Bank, uh, formerly worked for Peace Now in Yashdin and since uh, 2013 uh, uh, now for this organization, Kerem Navot. Uh, hello Dror. Good morning. Hi. Uh, so we, will, we, will, we are going to talk about... Uh, Precisely, your your work uh, uh, throughout throughout the years now of um, monitoring uh, settlement activities, um, and uh, and uh, in, in particular with this new organization. I mean, this new, it's two years old organization, Kerem Navot. Uh, I uh, maybe a good thing to to begin the conversation would be uh, for us uh, for you to explain what who Navot was because that's that's a very uh, Uh, I mean, I I I, um, I read I, I first read this explanation in a, in an article uh, dedicated to your work in the Times of Israel, and uh, it was interesting how they say that most most Israeli would not necessarily uh, understand the reference, but actually the the set the, the ideological settlers, uh, very religious, would definitely see where this is going. Absolutely, I mean, it's, uh, this is by the way also where I come from. I also grew up in a religious Orthodox uh, family. Uh, so the Bible and uh, the biblical narratives are part of, uh, you know, my natural uh, realm of uh, of uh, association, so to say. Uh, Navot, uh, according to the biblical story, I'm talking about uh, the Book of King, uh, was uh, a farmer, Israelite farmer, who was unlucky to have uh, his field next to the palace of the, of, of, uh, the king uh, Ahab. Ahab was uh, the king who ruled uh, the um, kingdom of Israel in the uh, 9th century uh, BC. And he uh, woke one day up and thought that he would like to have uh, Naboth's uh, wine yard next to him. Um, so he went and, uh, and, and asked uh, Navot uh, whether Navot uh, is willing to give him uh, his uh, his to sell him. I'm sorry, his uh, his um, land. his land. And uh, Navot uh, answered like a real Semite, you know, that he can't. That it uh, it his uh, family um, property since generation, and there is no way that he can sell it. This is uh, where his uh, I guess his identity is and planted and. And he cannot replace uh, his, uh, his. He cannot sell his uh, land, nor can he replace it uh, for another land, which is even better than this land, as uh, as the king offered. So the king went back home very depressed because he really desired uh, this uh, this uh, this uh, this parson. And uh, his wife came in, Isabel came in, and saw him very depressed. Yeah, she asked him, "How come you're depressed?" And he told her the whole story. So he told him, "Okay, now you have uh, to take things in the hand and to show to show the people who is the boss." And uh, she basically planned um, 
uh, everything in 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 uh, everything uh, in advance uh, she recruited two people who were willing to lie that that Navot cursed the king uh, and God and uh, the subtext of the story is that a person who cursed the king and God is uh, um, is ruled to death is uh, once he was uh, was once he was uh, found guilty for doing it uh, so uh, his punishment is to be stoned to death so she found these two uh, cricks who were willing to say that they heard uh, Navot cursing uh, God and uh, the king and uh, of course uh, Navot was executed and uh, his property as it happened to people who were been executed went to uh, went to Ahab and this is how Ahab was able eventually to inherit uh, to take to inherit illegally, uh, unmorally, the land of uh, Navot, who was uh, who was dead. This is uh, one of the best well-known um, moral stories of uh, of the Bible. It's a story which basically come to warn the people from <clears throat> from an uh, unregulated, uncontrolled. Uh, immoral um, authority, uh, force, craft, which the states hold. This is this is what the story is all about. You know, the the, the story continues from there, and actually, the uh, the climax of the story is the meeting between Ahab and the prophet Elias, who engage him and um, come and and and. Tell him this is this what you have done is unacceptable morally, and since this story, the story of uh, since this uh, this uh, this uh, this chapter, the story of uh, Kev Navot, it becomes once and again is mentioned once and again in the Bible as the ultimate immoral behavior of the king of Ahab, uh, which eventually eventually leads. Uh, to uh, divine punishment and to the destruction of the of the Israelite kingdom and to the fact that this uh, the people of this kingdom had become had become refugees and were forced to exile uh, somewhere out around uh, the country in the region mm. uh, and I thought that this is um, this is a name which uh, which suits what I'm dealing with, since uh, I'm dealing with these two main components of a story. I'm dealing with land, and I'm dealing with uncontrolled, immoral uh, craft and authority which uh, the state has. Though, ironically, as it happens in history, you know, the... The craft right now is in the Jewish hand, you know, in the Israelite hand, yeah, and... Um, the people who are subjected to this uh, uncontrolled uh, and uncensored, I would say, um, strength and, 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 and authority and state violence are Palestinians, Palestinian uh, farmers, Palestinian citizens, Palestinians uh, who are uh, living in the West Bank, of course also in Gaza in many ways, but I'm working in the West Bank. And, uh, yeah, and uh, this is the name which I selected for this, uh, this NGO, this mm-hmm. is the story. Uh, well, what, one part of this story that I find particularly interesting is that 
the, the, the story could really just be um, uh, like Navot, Navot says no to the king, the king is furious, he kills him, he gets the land. But actually, no, there is a sort of there's a sort of legal tractation to actually give a simulacrum of legitimacy, a, a, an ideological and discursive legitimacy. And I think that's exactly what we're dealing with here as well. And, and you, I think your work has been very, uh, has been very instrumental in, in showing how, um, how something like uh, the law has been, uh, has been instrumentalized by the Israeli army in the West Bank. And I actually, I have to say, I, I, I regret that uh, this conversation doesn't have this uh, this uh, pendant that it was supposed to have uh, uh, originally with uh, Raja Shihad, a Palestinian lawyer and a good friend who had to who had to go to New York exactly when I was in Palestine. So that's that's uh, that's a pity. But well, we'll we'll try to go through this aspect of the the legislation with you, and um, and uh, so this sort of, this sort of um, narrative. Of legitimacy of uh, land seizing in the West Bank has been has been at work for a long time. I mean, we we can talk about the the, the old uh, Ottoman law that that says that uh, if uh, if um, if you take any agricultural land in the in the region and um, and you're away sufficiently away from the from the from the city so that you cannot hear the rooster of the city. I mean, th this shows a little bit the archaism of the, of, of the, the it's, legislation. It's, it's true. And, and, this, and this part of the land has not been cultivated for, for three years. Uh, then this land can become public property. And, and becomes, Israeli, again, come, becomes again the, the sultan or yeah. the state's property or something. And so the Israeli used. army uh, actually used and, and created a precedent in the Israeli Supreme Court of, 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 of actually using this, this archaic law to actually seize Palestinian land. Absolutely, absolutely. But we, you have also to remember, you know, that uh, it was Israeli rule, it was Israeli interest, you know, to keep using the Ottoman law because the Ottoman law gives uh, and grants much more authority to the state than the uh, British or the Jordanian law in this sense, you know. And the interesting thing in this regard is that the land registration process in Palestine started uh, pretty late, uh, actually in the 20th century, you know, during, actually during the mandate, uh, mm -hmm. mandate period, during the 20s, and uh, continued in the 30s and the 40s, and uh, in uh, 1948, still most of the land was not, uh, was not registered. Most of the land in, the, in, the, in, the, in Palestine, in British uh, mandatory Palestine, was not registered. It's true also to the West Bank, about two-thirds of the West Bank was not uh, registered. In the 50s, the, 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 in the 60s, uh, the, the Jordanian continued, but in 1967, the situation which Israel found in the West Bank was that just about two-thirds of the West Bank still was not registered. Yeah, And exactly in these two-thirds, this is uh, of the West Bank, which are not fully registered. Yeah. These are exactly the areas where the, the, the Othman uh, land law is still, is still applying. And this is exactly the places where uh, hundreds of thousands of dunams had been declared by the Israeli authorities as state land. And over 99% of them had been allocated to settlers. In other words, one of the main uh, methods which Israel used in order to uh, allocate uh, land to the, to the Israeli settlement enterprise was to reclassify, reclassify um, ownership status 
and the West Bank, by negating, by refuting the Palestinian, the Palestinian ownership story, mm-hmm. and reclassifying a, a massive amount of land in the West Bank. And once it had been, uh, once it had been public, there is only one legitimate public in the West Bank, and this happened to be, uh, you know, the Israeli, the Israeli public in the West Bank. Even though we're talking about 11, 12 percent of the total population of the West Bank today, so when it comes to public, there is only one public mm-hmm. in Israel, as much in the West Bank, which is outside, of course, of the of a sovereign, official sovereign uh, um, um, uh, area of, of the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. But I think that another. I can totally relate to what you said before regarding uh, regarding Navot and and the uses of or the misuse of legal process uh, in order to eventually dispossess someone. But in this context, I think that there is another component which has, should be which should be mentioned. It, indeed, the way Israel uh, started to dispossess the Palestinians in the West Bank was by using the administrative and legal and legal uh, um, framework, which was reinvented or some sometime invented out of scratch you know in order to facilitate this this work and of course there's an evolution there also one can see throughout the last the first uh, 10 uh, 15 years of uh, israeli control of the west bank the evolution the legal evolution bureaucratic and legal evolution of how israel learned with time to take more and more land but one of the things which are typical to the israeli palestinian encounter in the west bank is that with time, Israel had developed a secondary channel of land grab in the West Bank. And this is the inofficial one. In the West Bank, there are two land grab channels, the official stated one and the inofficial, which is fully backed and, mm-hmm. in most cases, also subsidized and paid and protected and ignored and impugned by the state of Israel. And uh, these two channels together has to be seen, have to be comprehensive in order to understand what actually is happening on the field in the West Bank. In most of the settlements in the West Bank, you will see how these two channels are working together in order eventually to reach the supreme geopolitical uh, goal which Israel is trying to trying to promote, which is, of course, as much as possible of land to the Israeli Israeli uh, uh, minority in the West Bank, on the expense, of course, of whom the, the overwhelming Palestinian majority of, of the West Bank. So one of the things which I'm actually specializing on, or I'm, I'm, I'm trying to specialize on, if I may say, is to explore the unofficial the unofficial channel to understand and to share my understanding with others regarding the methods which which the Israeli Israeli governmental origin, I would say, yeah, it's not necessarily the central government who was always the one who is who is directly involved, but it's eventually governmental money, which is which is. Uh, um, which is allowing, which is uh, which is uh, which stands behind these uh, continuous continuous uh, um, um, uh, efforts to 
take over uh, uh, land in, in, in the West Bank. And the outposts are only one expression out of this, uh, out of this uh, inofficial channel. You know? These are the best well-known, uh, the best well-known example, methodology. It's, of course, a, a very important one uh, since it creates anchor where Israelis are present 24-7. Yeah? But it's important to remember that it's only one out of, out of several. A uh, few others, which I, if you want to speak about it right now, or you want to ask first, I mean, whatever you, whatever you prefer. I mean, well, I think we, I think we will evoke your, your methods quite in depth in a, in a few moments. But maybe be, before we do so, um, um, I'd like maybe to uh, relate to the report you've been writing in, uh, I mean, uh, that Karim Navat has been writing in August 2013, called um, Israeli Settlers' Agriculture as a Means of Land, land Takeover in the West Bank. Yeah. Uh, maybe to, because we, we, are, we are very used to hear about the settlements uh, in terms of, um, in terms of building, construction. Demographic uh, culture. Yeah, and, we, and in the end, we, we might forget the, the actually biggest, biggest part of, uh, of land seizing, which is actually much easier than, than starting to build something. Which is which is uh, used for agricultural purposes. So, could you maybe tell us? Yeah, th- I mean, this is directly also related to what I said before, mm-hmm. because uh, agriculture is also is abs- first of all is the main mean of takeover in West Bank. I mean, if you compare the amount of land which is cultivated by Israeli settlers and the amount of land which is built up for Israeli settlers, mm-hmm. so you come up, you know, to about fifty percent more. I mean, the size of, uh, of agricultural area in the West Bank is about 50% more than the agriculture area. If I, if, if, I, if I have to translate to numbers, so we're talking about more or less uh, 60,000 dunams constructed area, while the, uh, while the agricultural area uh, in the West Bank is reaching already 96,000, 97,000. You know, it grew since I wrote this, uh, this report uh, during the last, uh, during the last uh, year and a half, you know. Um, but it's also directly related to the double channel uh, land grab, uh, which, I, which, I, which I just uh, mentioned a few mm-hmm. minutes ago, because big part and actually increasing part of Israeli agricultural activity in the West Bank is done through the inofficial land grab channel, yeah? uh, mainly around the so-called ideological, and we will speak about it later, perhaps yeah. also the ideological um, uh, settlers or uh, uh, settlements, uh, the one which are m- located mainly uh, along the hill country of the West Bank, the uh, central part of the West Bank, uh, between Hebron in the south and uh, Nablus uh, in, in, in the north. Uh, this is actually the area where uh, most of the unofficial land grab is taking place. One the, once the official land grab continues all the time, where? Mainly in the eastern uh, outskirts of the West Bank, the Jordan, along the Jordan River, Jordan Valley, sorry, and in some, in some places also western part, in the western part of, uh, of, uh, of the West Bank uh, as well. So in the lower parts of the West Bank, uh, relatively to the hill country, where the religious, uh, more extreme, ideologically speaking, more violently uh, active, proactive uh, settlers are living. And uh, one, uh, one of the main conclusions of this, of this study is indeed that the, the agricultural land grab in the West Bank is directly related to the unenforced Law system to the, uh, in, I would say, to the vanishment of the Israeli enforcement enforcement uh, system. It's directly related to continuous violence, uh, which is used 
rationally and in a very well-planned way by Israeli settlers in order to achieve a status quo, to, to change the status quo which, which was there for a generation and basically block the entrance of Palestinians to very, very um, wide and economically vital areas around settlements and, of course, next to Palestinian villages, and gradually, gradually converting these areas to Israeli settler farms, Israeli settlers' agricultural farms. And you can see this uh, process taking place along uh, the West Bank, mainly in the hill country. I, would, I must say that not only, though, not only. It happened mainly there, but you can also see it happening in other parts uh, of the West Bank as well. And uh, the, the, the attempt is really to, to point out, you know, to, to show the links, the direct links, you know, between, between uh, settlers' violence, something which was spoke a lot about in the, in the, next, in the last years, and the um, contiguous gradu uh, uh, increase of, uh, of, um, of Israeli uh, agricultural uh, activity in, in the West Bank. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we should talk about the, the different methods that are used to seize the land and maybe this particular um, uh, like military, military legislation that, that basically can capture pretty much anything uh, under the purpose of uh, security, which, which is very convenient because it's, it's, uh, it's um, What I, what I like to call the self-fulfilling uh, self prophecy, because obviously if you seize some land, it means that there, you created antagonism, right. so you might need security, so you can say, well, this is for security. It's, so, it's, it's a vicious cycle, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So, so um, could you maybe describe a little bit how the process goes, uh, typically uh, in a chronological manner? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, I think it, it's, it's vital to understand here that The security um, discourse, yeah, uh, the Israeli security discourse of Israeli security pretext is is, is present, is omnipresent in, in 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 the West Bank. Nothing happens, nothing happens in the West Bank without the backup of the military. Mm. I'm, I'm talking right now both about the official and the unofficial, unofficial. Uh, um, Uh, uh, land grab. It might be useful to remind our hearers, our listeners, that the West Bank is not part of the state of Israel, and therefore it's directly governed by by the Israeli by the IDF, by the Israeli military. Everything, every uh, legislation of the West Bank is done by the military, uh, and the military can. Uh, with no restraints, declare every area in the West Bank as closed military zones for whatever reasons. This is, by the way, my present uh, project, which we might, we might want to speak about later on, you know, the closed military zone uh, um, uh, declarations, which have a huge impact on, on the land uh, administration regime in, in, in the West Bank. And uh, once uh, an area had been declared uh, officially or even unofficially as a closed military zone, yeah, in many, many cases, the declarations are, uh, are unofficial. Again, you know, the military is also part of this, what I called mafia characteristic behavior. You know, the military is also, in many cases, involved directly in illegal practices, illegal according to its own definition of what's legal or not. When I, speak, when I, when I use the word legal or illegal for the sake of this discussion, 
I'm talking about the technical definition of what legal, not about the more, not about the international uh, uh, law. I'm using the Israeli, the inner Israeli discourse, yes. It's important to remember that also the military is very often uh, violating its own, its own rules uh, in order to in order to promote uh, the clear, the clear um, object, objective, as I, as I mentioned before, to keep Palestinian, Palestinian uh, out. Uh, and as you, as you mentioned, I think very, very rightfully, you said that there is uh, some kind of, uh, of, um, of a close, close system here. You know, once you take somebody's land, you create antagonism. Once there is antagonism, you know, the human history is full of uh, examples of, uh, you know, of people react violently. And uh, we are not an exception, you know. And 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 one there is a violence, so you need to increase the the, the security zones around the settlement, right? Once you increase the security zones around the settlement, Palestinians cannot enter greater zones around settlements, and this is exactly the um, exactly the platform which Palestinians, which settlers are using in order to move from. A passive disposition to an active disposition. In other words, to take land which used to be cultivated by Palestinians, here, no Palestinians are not entering the area anymore. Ten years had passed and Palestinians didn't cultivate it, so we can come and, uh, and, and, and plant a vineyard instead of them. This is something which I happened to see yesterday, by example, in one place, you know, in the West Bank. Uh, but it's something which happens all the time. Uh, all the time. Yesterday, I happened to to, to find out uh, to to discover, so to say, you know, uh, another place next to a settlement called Eli, mm. which is right between Ramallah, Ramallah and, uh, and, and and Nablus. Right, I'm talking about about three dunams of uh, of uh, of uh, vineyard, which was planted uh, recently, a few months ago, uh, and. Once I analyzed the area photos and uh, the land status, it was clear to me what the story. You know, the land is uh, this parcel is is a clear example of exactly what we just uh, what we just said. In the middle of this land, there is there is um, uh, how do you call it uh, a camera or uh, yeah or a detection device. You know, which uh, which works in any in every weather and in every time of the day, 24, 24 seven. It's clear that this entire valley, which is not too far away from uh, the, the settlement borders, we're talking about a few hundred meters under the settlement, you know, this entire valley hadn't been cultivated since, I would say, the year 2000. Probably, you know, Palestine couldn't enter anymore. And here we see 15 years later, 14 years later, we see how the settlers move in and take the land in order to make sure that Palestinians won't be able to go back to, to, to the land, yeah? It's a clear example of how things happen, and we're talking about literally thousands, tens of thousands probably, of dunams which had been uh, taken by Israeli settlers in a similar, in a similar way. Mm -hmm. And once again, I think it's very important to, to insist on the fact that um, it seems that the entire policy, uh, uh, policies ex and expansionist policies of Israel are are based really on a, on a, once again on a legitimizing narrative like the, it's it's uh it's really an occupation that doesn't want to say its name it's uh, there there is always like this uh, i mean just like uh, as we were saying in the story of Navot, like it's it's not just like the king killing the ki killing killing Navot. it's it's really there's an entire process 
a discursive process. So I think we should always... There's an entire process, there's an entire culture which had been developed, which is based on this this reality, okay? Somehow, if you believe in this narrative, you can deny reality, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. For the settlers who planted planted these, uh, these grapes a few months ago, you know, for him, morally speaking, it was not, a, I guess, a problematic uh, act at all. You know, he sees this uh, place as deserted place. Why shouldn't I take it? Yeah, shouldn't I take it? But they're not as naive. You know, they know exactly what they do. And mm-hmm. with time, I learned to also to to follow their way of thinking. And it's clear to me, it's clear to me that they select carefully. With time, they select more and more carefully the places which they invade, and they are trying to push to the limit you know, the uh, military law in, in, in order to avoid, in some cases, you know, facing any risk that that, that uh, some kind of uh, enforcement activity, rare as it is, as it is mm. will be taken, will be will be done against them. Mm-hmm. You know, so in this case, I could clearly see why he chose this place. Well, he chose this place. He chose this place because this place, since now t- over 10 years, is not accessible for Palestinians. Yeah? And it's clear to me that he have done it, that settlers have done it, had spent a few tens of thousands of shekel. Yeah, irrigation system and plant. You know, he, he worked there. He spent money on it. And he didn't do it because he wanted to lose money. He did it with a legal consultant. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And with access to aerial photos. And he planned in in advance, you know, his legal his legal uh, uh, um, justification uh, 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 reply in case that there will be there will be any any attempt to evict him from uh, from the land. I have no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you just evoked the question of money because um, that's a question I I evoked in a recent conversation for Archipelago, um, and and my claim was not very uh, very sourced, so I'm uh, I think you're the perfect person to talk to about that. Uh, I was I was saying that maybe we we also have a vision of the settlers, uh, maybe a historical vision of um, extremely ideological, extremely religious uh, um, uh, people, and um, and from from where this uh, this violence uh, usually come from. But there is, a, there is actually, um, I don't know if it's a shift of paradigm, maybe that's a bit strong to say that, but at least there is, there is a strong um, uh, complex, complexification of who the settlers may be. And one of them is very much based on economical reason, because obviously when you seize land that costs nothing, obviously the, the real estate uh, that... that, uh, that um, the consequence, uh, the real estate consequence, on that means that uh, it's it's actually much cheaper to go live there. So could could you maybe address that a little bit? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, in general, uh, the the uh, partition, the distinction between ideological settlers and uh, economical settlers is 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 not an accurate is not an accurate one. Uh, every I think that in most of the settlers you will find components from both. You will find ideological and you will find economical components. Mm. Most of the settlers, even if it didn't start this way in, in the first years or of of Israeli of Israeli settlement enterprise was bank, it became very fast part of a story since it was obvious much cheaper to move to the West Bank. That was the true in the past and that is the true also in the present. Just yesterday I've seen a sign somewhere, actually in, in a very ideological settlement, yeah, uh, announcing a, a sale, 
a groundbreaking sale in terms of Israeli real estate uh, real estate prices. You know, half a million shekel for 115 square meters uh, apartment, five room apartment in uh, one of the settlements which are just next to Nablus. Now, mm. the Nablus area is popular. It's about 130,000 dollars. Just about. Yeah. yeah. The Nablus area is is you know typically considered to be one of the most the hardest core settlers most violent area of the west bank yeah all the settlements around settlement around nablus are 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 fanatically religious and and considered to be also uh, you know affiliated with the with the hardcore settlers movement but what what this sign actually tells us you know what this advertisement had been is actually telling us it tells us that one of the reasons for uh, for family to move to buy apartment in in this settlement or in another settlement where it's much cheaper, it's also an economical one. Yeah, we didn't say we didn't bring any verse from the Bible, you know, which promises the land of Israel, you know, to the Jews, you know, as an advertisement. We chose numbers. Mm-hmm. I guess that they know why they chose numbers, and we didn't we didn't use any 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 biblical uh, any biblical uh, verse. Now it doesn't mean that the people who move there are not. Sympathetic with a, with a, with a, with a general idea, mm-hmm. of course they do, yeah. Um, but one have to understand that you know we're talking about human beings, and human beings are complicated uh, beasts, and uh, they can be motivated by more than one uh, reason once uh, they're doing uh, something. This is true to right wingers. It's also true to left wingers. It's not true only to Israeli settlers. It's true to every, I guess, uh, human human uh, group. There's another aspect which, um, which is worthwhile, I think, to, to, to mention in this aspect, and this is the correlation between ideology and geography. Also, people who are, who are moving to settlements, not necessarily in the Nablus area, or in other parts of the West Bank, Adam, Kfar Edomim area, you know, Jordan Valley area, you know, the ultra-Orthodox settlement, you know, the the settlements which are not considered to be part of the hardest hardest uh, uh, ideological core uh, of uh, of the settlers in the West Bank, what you can typically find is a process of people adopting certain narrative, certain ideology, certain sets of dogmas. Mm. Once they live in the West Bank which help them to justify their decision. Now, this is, again, this is nothing uh, which is done only by Israeli settlers. It's something it's very human. Mm-hmm. People are, are adopting uh, what they hear around them. If they, are, they want to think about themselves as moral creatures, as moral human beings. And therefore, they adopt certain certain argumentation which uh, which fortify this image, which they want to keep for himself, for himself, and for uh, and uh, for uh, for others. Now, if we speak about uh, about reality, when it's it's clearly true, there is no doubt that uh, Israeli welfare state. Exist in the West Bank and uh, stopped existing in, in Israel. Yeah, uh, Israel had had become in the last decade a very very rough, cruel economy toward the Israeli citizens who live in Israel, and it's maintained. It's still maintaining a much 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 softer 
and much more comprehensive, much softer economical, uh, economical policy and much, much more comprehensive social net uh, to Israeli, Israeli settlers in, in the West Bank. Yeah. It, has, it has to do partly with the fact that the settlers' religious parties are extremely, extremely effective in the, in the Israeli politics. Yeah. And they had been conveying uh, or delivering very effectively what the voters were expecting them to, to, to deliver, which is much cheaper and much better public transportation, much cheaper kindergarten system, um, much cheaper housing. Yeah. Um, you name it, a much cheaper local taxes, mm. yeah? Um, much University, higher percent... Maybe, maybe yeah. the, I think the prices are the same. I think if this is not, doesn't, doesn't make... Uh, I think if, if, in terms of tuition, I think the, the tuition is the same, yeah? Mm-hmm. You have to drive less. But um, um, it's definitely part of the huge amount of money which Israel is, is, is investing. It's another, it's another example of a huge amount of money which the state of Israel is, is investing in, in, in the West Bank. Um, <clears throat> there are um, the, the social services, the state social provided social services provided to Israeli settlers are uh, significantly, significantly uh, um, uh, wider and uh, more generous than they are provided in most of Israeli, in most of Israelis uh, uh, um, pre-1967 uh, borders communities. Definitely, definitely. Okay, and, and, uh, and, and in this sense, I think that you are totally right that uh, people who are moving to uh, to the West Bank or choosing to remain living in the West Bank, one of the things they consider, you know, think about yourself, you know, the twenty five years old person who's getting married, you know, one of, if you have no ideological, uh, it doesn't, you know, if a settlement enterprise doesn't doesn't make you headache or stomachache. It doesn't bring you to to puke, you know. So why not? I mean, it mm-hmm. makes sense, you know, to 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 live where it's 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 much much cheaper. Now, beyond it, here again, we we are getting to the non-official to the non-official land grab, non-official land grab channel. Until now, we spoke only about what the state gives. Mm-hmm. Just imagine a person who builds a two hundred or three hundred meter square meter house on a land which was absolutely stolen. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe from from now, I'd like to talk about your methods uh, because I think it's very interesting, especially for uh, the listeners who come from uh, maybe uh, I don't know. I mean, many of them are probably architects and and uh, designers, and, but also geographers and and um, and uh, those are also tools we use uh, very often. Uh, uh, could you could you maybe tell us a little bit your method of tracking? I mean, I know you you you're constantly on the on the roads. And everything, but uh, you you do also a lot of uh, aerial photos uh, analysis, and uh, right. and you're able to read them in such a way that uh, you you will you will get indications from the change from one year to another. Right. Could you could you address all that? <coughs> yes, absolutely. So first of all, it's true as you mentioned. You know, uh, if you don't know the the land, the field, you know, from first hand, intimately. Uh, the amount of uh, information which you can get from aerial photos is is, is much is much smaller. Mm-hmm. So the intimate uh, the intimate uh, I would say um, encounter continuous intimate encounter with uh, facts on the ground with from from the human normal human day to day perspective is vital. 
But beside that, uh, what I what I was able to to um, to get or accomplish in the last year is is a very very uh, diverse and 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 I guess um, comprehensive, though far away from being being complete uh, database of. Um, of two things. First of all, uh, area photos of West Bank, which covered the entire West Bank from the late 60s, mm. uh, since Israel had uh, basically taken over the West Bank in 1967 and until today. Uh, area photos which uh, shows the change on the ground in every given uh, spot in the West Bank. Yeah. Uh, this is, of course, uh, an incredibly important uh, tool if you want to measure to measure growth and 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 to see to measure development urbanic development infrastructural development and so on this is one aspect and the second thing which is extremely useful is um, I specialized in the last 10 years uh, using the Israeli Freedom of Information Act mm-hmm. and uh, had been once and again uh, going to Israeli authorities, mainly to the ICA, to the Israeli Civil Administration West Bank, and basically demanding from them, based on this on this uh, act, the Freedom of Information Act, which was legislated in Israel in 1998, to hand over GIS data, which the CIA, which the ICA, which the Israeli Civil Administration is maintaining, developing, creating for its own needs mm-hmm. in Area C. And that no one really thinks of asking... <laughs> Uh, look, GIS is something pre- relatively new also in the world entirely, also in, uh, also in the West Bank, something which Israeli authorities started to use in the late 90s. I started to use it comprehensively actually in 2003, and with time I learned more and more and more. And uh, it was only in 2005 that I realized that the, that the civil administration maintains an entire data bank, mm. GIS data bank, which I was not aware of. Took me. I started working in 2002, the beginning of 2002. It took me about three and a half years, you know, to learn to ask the right question. Mm-hmm. It was only thanks to Sasson report, you know, the, the report which was dedicated to Israeli outpost, which was published in March 2005, <coughs> that I realized that there is an entire GIS uh, um, land ownership classification in, in, in Area C. And the next thing uh, which I've done was to demand to be partner with the Israeli authorities of this information. After all, I'm an Israeli citizen. So, you might say, you know, I learned, you know, to use the system, you know, to use my rights as an Israeli citizen, Israeli citizen in order to combat the, the system, to, underst- to, to, to get the information and then to analyze it in order to expose, uh, <clears throat> to expose both the official, but again also the non-official Land grab, because once you have this data bank, you are also able to compare it with the reality on the ground and to show how the Israeli authorities are breaching their own laws once and again, systematically, systematically. Mm-hmm. You know, not only when it comes to uh, not only when it comes to outposts, not only when it comes to agriculture, also when it comes to roads, also when it comes to uh, touristic. Um, uh, uh, enterprises which uh, the Israeli the Israeli authorities are trying to are trying to are trying to develop this entire uh, tissue infrastructural tissue which uh, which includes basically entire area area C and this is also what <clears throat> what with time brought me to deal to see uh, to understand 
Area C comprehensively. I start dealing with Israeli settlement and with construction in settlements and in outposts, you know, but with time I realized that the settlements and the outposts, or if you wish, the construction and the demographic growth of Israeli settlement in the West Bank are only one, vital, though only one dimension, far away from being uh, um, sufficient in the, Israeli, in the Israeli vision of Area C in order to understand uh, the reality. Most of Israeli activity most of Israeli activity in, in areas that take place outside of the summers, not inside the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mentioned, I mentioned uh, the agriculture, but uh, another uh, issue which I, which I researched and wrote a, a report on uh, in 2012, 2011-12, was the, Israeli, the, the, the takeover of natural water springs in the West Bank, yeah? which is, again, part of the spatial... <coughs> Expansion uh, of uh, of Israeli Israeli settlers, as uh, in many other cases, is something which started by local settlers and had been endorsed, backed up, and adopted by uh, local government, mm-hmm. by the local by the settlers' local government, which are enjoying, of course, uh, governmental governmental money. And once that happened, of course, the military backed it up, and again, these areas had become no-go zones. Uh, for 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 Palestinians, and we're talking about over sixty uh, water springs in West Bank, which are or totally taken, mm-hmm. or under some type of risk. In other words, when I say risk, I mean settlers are coming there. Now, whether they will be blocked completely for Palestinians or not is something which depends on their location and the amount of effort which will be which will be invested by settlers. I'm not going to say that all these places will be eventually blocked for Palestinians. No, some of them are already completely. Others are in some type of uh, what, what I what I what I define there in this in this uh, in this uh, report as a risk, uh, since uh, settlers are are coming there and and the risk differs from one place to 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 the other. Now these this attempt to take over um, I would say I would say spots with special scenic value. It's not. Uh, it's not happening only around uh, around the spring. It takes place also around uh, uh, in different uh, observatories, so to say. You know, places, high places, elevated places, which um, hilltops in most mm-hmm. cases. Yeah, which uh, Israeli settlers again. When I say Israeli settlers, we always have to remember that there is a system behind them. You know, taking taking over in order to build an entire parallel touristic uh, infrastructure in the West Bank, which is supposed to bring Israelis and tourists, which is supposed to supply work, which supplies, which is supposed also to create this dual, this dual, um, this double reality in the West Bank, you know, places which Palestine can be and places where Palestine cannot be. And, and tourism and and uh, the development of a touristic of touristic uh, uh, infrastructure in the West Bank is absolutely one of the main arms in the last years, which we see, which are uh, used in order to expand the areas which uh, are access only to Israeli settlers and their visitors mm-hmm. and their visitors. Um, well, that that would be my last question. But could could you maybe uh, be even more specific about the way you the way you work? Maybe giving example of how a typical day of your work uh, 
is is like just to just to give an idea of how this work of monitoring really materializes. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, I've been all day long in the West Bank, for example, and I realized uh, that um, there is a new massive uh, um, infrastructure work in one of the outposts, uh, which uh, had been established actually in 2002, talking about uh, an outpost called Nufayne Chemia, which is <coughs> south of Naples. Mm. Uh, had been retroactively legalized by the Israeli government, uh, or started to be retroactively legalized by the Israeli government uh, in the last years. And the legalization process still takes place. Uh, the place, the, the outpost still doesn't have uh, any, any, um, any valid master plan, which uh, allows any construction there. Nevertheless, uh, the settlers uh, in the last uh, weeks uh, started to prepare their I don't think that I would exaggerate if I would say that the area which they had flattened is uh, around somewhere between 70-80 dunams of hilly area. So that means that there are few bulldozers and trucks which are working there all the time in order eventually to uh, enlarge drastically this outpost. Today there are, I guess, around 30 families there. Once they will complete... Uh, their plans, there will be probably 150, 100, 150 uh, families living in this area according to the size which they are preparing. This is my, 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 yeah, my estimate. Mm -hmm. <coughs> the first one which I've done was to do, to, to use the official layers which I have from the Syrian administration, which I received just recently again. <clears throat> after a long, always, I mean, always long struggle, and in most cases uh, it goes through court, it's never, uh, my relation with the authorities are not, uh, are not, nothing to, to write home about, let's say, that way, <laughs> yeah, not great. Uh, they don't volunteer to give me the information, mm. um, and the first thing which I've done was to, to compare these, uh, the places which they actually work, with the land status and with the uh, zoning of the settlements. And uh, it took me two seconds to realize, you know, that mo most of this, this uh, earth-moving works, yeah, are done outside of the outpost, outside of the outpost judicial area. Mm -hmm. In other words, if it's outside of the judicial area, it cannot be also be, it, there's no way that it can be legal. The next step was to try to understand whether there is any, any master plan valid in this place, yeah? There isn't. So it's not only that it's happening, you know, most of the work is happening outside of the zoning, which was allocated generously enough, by the way, by the, by the ICA to the settlers, yeah? There is no, there is no, there is no master plan there which can, which can allow official, officially at least, you know, any, any type of, of construction there, mm -hmm. yeah? Now, don't think that this happens, you know, in a place where the Israeli army doesn't see or they don't, they don't know. They know it about it very well. I mean, we're talking about huge amount of money which is spent there already. Mm -hmm. There's no way that this money is not coming from the government. There is no way, absolutely no way. It doesn't come from the construction ministry, Minister of Construction, in other words, the mm -hmm. government. Uh, and... Uh, The next step probably will be to go to the to go to the Palestinian landowners uh, and to ask them whether they would like to be represented in court. Mm. I'm not a lawyer, but I I'm the person who makes the links between yeah. lawyers and and local Palestinians. This is one of the things which I'm uh, I'm dealing with a lot with. You know, 
basically to try to force the system to do what the system is really not at all keen to do, which is to enforce law. Yeah? Uh, not because I think that this will solve the problem of Israeli son and the West Bank, just because I want once and again to force the system to look at the mirror mm-hmm. and to tell us what the system is all about. And, and, and that also brings me you know, to all these dozens of uh, legal cases which I was involved with in the last years, you know, which most of them, by the way, are, are cases of uh, land grab, private land grab. Private, when I say private now, I'm using, the, I'm using the Israeli technical term of what is private and what is not. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I have this mapping. I know, I know what the Israeli authorities consider as, as, as state land and what they consider as private. And therefore, I'm also able to force the system, like in the case of Amona, in the case of Migron, like in the case of Ulpana, Ofra, all these pretty well-known places which came up, uh, which had, I would say, came up in the last years and pretty much shaken once and again the Israeli local politics. Yeah, because what? Because they basically put in a clash, direct clash, the state responsibility to enforce law versus the uh, the settlers' uh, political influence and the non-hidden state's interest actually to expand the, the, these these settlements and to establish this outpost. This outpost, in the end of the day, where it established established with with, uh, with public money. Yeah, and with the state consent, you know, the idea behind it was once again, you know, to force the state to look in the mirror, and to and to and to once and again uh, pay the prices of of its own criminal 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 uh, 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 behavior, mm-hmm. so to say. So uh, this is just uh, one example of one uh, one place where I've been yesterday, and there are two, three, or four other places. Which I've been in, in all of them, I've dis- I discovered similar, similar, um, similar uh, activity. Uh, activity. Not necessarily in the same side, but similar in the same in, in the sense that wherever I go, I see uh, what I mentioned before: this double channel land grab uh, working simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wherever I go, I can see it. How, how. The reality on the ground is being achieved by combining these two, these two things uh, together, as well as in this specific uh, place which I just mentioned. Well, Dror, thank you so much to have taken the time to talk to me this morning, and uh, I think it's been uh, incredibly informative. And once again, I, I simply regret that we we uh, did not manage to to meet with Raja Shehadeh because uh, he is a lawyer and he's been fighting for the last 20 years those uh, cases of expropriation. But uh, who knows, maybe one day uh, we, will, we will meet again. Thank, thank you so much.